0: What I want, hopefully what I want you to be able to to grasp is what's going on in Paul. He's headed home. He's going back to Jerusalem. The Spirit has been talking to him, ministering to him as he studies and as he reads the Word and as he prays. And what the Spirit has been ministering to him is, trouble is coming. And so as he's headed home and he's headed that direction... We'll see the, the journey that he takes today. He, he ends up having a, like a layover. You guys ever had an unexpected layover? Yeah. Well, he ends up with an unexpected lay, layover, several days, on a beach, in a place called Miletus. And while he's there, he decides, you know what, uh, I'm gonna send for, for the elders in, in Ephesus. And, and he brings them out to him, and he, he says goodbye. and i don't want to separate us from the emotion that paul's got to be feeling with people he served with and for for 3 years and he poured out his life to and as we as we take a look this morning hopefully we can grasp something that that we can see in paul's life cuz paul later on he tells us to imitate me as i imitate christ paul says follow me i know where i'm going i'm all in and the call for for us to follow in his footsteps is what he lays out for us in this section of acts chapter 20 let's take a look acts chapter 20 we pick it up in verse 13 says then we went ahead (coughs) excuse me to the ship And sailed to Asos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. You remember I told you he wanted one more day at Troas? You ever been somewhere you wanted just one more day at? For him, this one more day that he wanted was one more day to get to share Jesus Christ with his family in Troas. One of the exciting things I get to experience as a pastor is the fact that we have family all over the world. You don't even know them, but if you ever find them, they just open up their arms and it's just like you've always been a part. That, that's how the family of God's supposed to be. Well, Paul waited an extra day. He, he chose to walk 20 miles instead of take the ship so he could spend one more day sharing Christ says that in verse 14, and when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. <clears throat> we sailed from there, and the next day we came opposite Chios. And the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium, and the next day we came to Myletus. Well, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have, <clears throat> he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. But from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, Chains and tribulation awaits me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy, And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day. I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we might receive your word, God, that we would know and that we would understand the the truth that that our souls are crying out for, that we can see the resolute commitment in the heart of Paul, and we would recognize, God, what it is... At the core, what is the cause of of that stand? Lord, I pray that you would just go before us, Lord God, and that you would anoint this time with your presence. And we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that mankind has an insatiable appetite? I remember when I was a kid, you know, the magic of Christmas time and or birthdays or different times when you were going to get something. And I remember thinking probably hundreds of times that all I needed was just this one more thing. Now, I don't know if you tell your kids that, that they'll grow out of it, but you know better. <clears throat> because as life goes on, the toys just get bigger, don't they? Or more functional and way more expensive, yeah. For sure. We have an insatiable appetite. We spend our lives searching to find what will satisfy the craving of my soul. What's going to satisfy the craving that is inside of me? And during this journey, prayerfully, as we search for... What will satisfy our deep craving, I hope we learn this, we become what we crave. During this search in my life, I have found that nothing on this earth seems to satisfy this longing, this desire, this craving within me. C.S. Lewis said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This is not my home. Nothing here is going to satisfy. But in Isaiah, listen to what Isaiah received from the Lord. The Lord is, is using Isaiah to speak to his people at a time when his people are, are incredibly disobedient, and his people are insatiably hungry and craving and grabbing for all kind of things that won't satisfy. Listen to what God says to them in Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. What's that mean? Everybody who... you ever been really thirsty? How is that different than a crave? When you're craving something, they're just craving water, right? Sometimes you're so thirsty, you think, if I don't get water soon, it's going to be bad. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. You hear what God's talking about? You're running around trying to fill the craving of your life with all kind of things. I don't care what the things are. They may satisfy for a moment, but they won't satisfy for long. before there's a craving for something else. But the Lord says, you who have these cravings, who are thirsting, come to the water. Come to the water. He says, you who have no money, this is not something you can buy. You cannot buy the solution to the craving in your soul. He says, come, buy, and eat, partake. Be a part of... He says, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Water refreshes. Milk provides growth. And wine throughout the scripture is a symbol of joy. You ever ask yourself, what is it that I need in my life to really make me happy? If we're married, at least in the beginning of our marriage, we look to our spouse And they make us happy for a week. All right, a month. A year. I don't know. Somewhere in that journey you discover that I'm not happy. I I thought that this was what was going to satisfy. My... longing my craving my loneliness my whatever it is but it's still there it's still nagging that empty space is still empty because you're trying to feed it something that's not water your joy is found in the lord period only place that doesn't mean there's something wrong with your marriage it doesn't mean there's something wrong with anything else that's going on in your life it means if you're trying to make that the key to your joy your happiness your fulfillment You are missing the boat. It is only going to be found in Christ. That's why he says, come and drink. What did he say to the woman at the well? If you knew what I could give you, you'd ask me for water. And I would give you water, and that water would spring up and become a fountain in your soul. And you will never thirst again. Sounds like the answer to a craving. Doesn't it? We, we spend our time and our money and our efforts looking for what does not satisfy, but the Lord would say, listen carefully, eat what is good, and let your soul delight. See, God didn't create us to be miserable. He didn't create us to be able to go through life with, from one tragedy to the next, just enduring. While endurance is necessary for our walk, that wasn't the point. He created us that we would delight in Him. He's the point, the place, the foundation, the spring, the fountain from which all satiation comes, all satisfaction, all fulfillment. It won't come from anywhere else. Just from Him. The psalmist Wrote these psalms. Let me share them with you. Psalm 42. To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants to you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Him? You see the longing? The recognizing that the craving of his life is for a relationship with God? Not a knowledge of God. A lot of people know who he is, where he was, that what day we celebrate his birth. People know a lot about God. But they don't know him like a deer pants for water. Like when you're out hiking and you're, you're, you drink the last of your water, you still have hours uh, of, of hiking around. I experienced that. I went out once. With Robin Quigley. Don't ever do that if you value, well, that's not true. Just know you're going to get plum tuckered out, because you are going to hike forever. We're out with a, I took a long walk with my bow, hunting deer. We never seen a deer closer than 400 yards, but hey, why not have a long walk with a bow, right? Well, after about, I don't know, 15 hours, we were heading back. And the water was gone. I was slurping that water down like a deer panteth for the water brook. That water come close to my face and it was going down and it was empty, done. And I thought, well, maybe I can get out of here and we're down in this deep gorge and we're, we're hiking our way out. And, and I think I got, I don't know, maybe a half a mile left to go and I'm done. If I don't get some water in me, forget it. I'll lay down right here and die. I'm not taking another step. Robin pulled out this handy-dandy little slurpy thing that you stick down in the mud and you pull it and it pulls clean water out. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it. We went down to this little bitty creek down there that was just muddy water. Don't tell me what was in it. I don't want to know. It doesn't matter. And he stuck it down in there I'm looking at you. I don't want to know. I'm telling you. <clears throat> he stuck it down in there and he pulled that thing. And this clean water came in. He squirted it in my in my water bottle and I drank. I was longing for that water. That's the way the scripture says we're to long for the Lord. That we desire to be with Him. To spend time with Him. To be around Him. To, to receive from Him what He has for us. That we find our satisfaction in him. The description that the Bible uses every time it talks about this relationship is not a ho hum ho drum, it's it it is let him who hungers and thirsts. You ever seen a starving man jump on a Christmas hen? Man. Don't come to my house at Christmas. That's the attitude that we come, that we want to receive what it is that God has for us. In Psalm 63, it says, O oh God, You are my God, and early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You see the description? When we talk about having a relationship with God, that's what we're talking about. Not, I just know Him. Not I know who he is, or I know what the Bible says about him, or I know this or that. We're talking about that thirst, that hunger, that drive. That's knowing him. That's a relationship. Coming unto the one, the only one who can satisfy. Psalm, uh, Psalm 36 says, Oh God, therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasure. Sounds like satisfying a craving, doesn't it? It ain't hard to find these verses, folks. It I don't have to look real tough. It's not. I don't need a special thing on my computer. Psalm 73, whom do I have in heaven but you, and there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Sounds like somebody finding out that the craving that they had was that relationship with God. Doesn't it sound like that? See, Paul made this discovery. He was living life, he was living large, he had it all, he, was, he had a career path, and he was headed to the top. Graduated from the best schools, had the best professors. Everybody thought highly of him. He was tracking. But one day he met God face to face. And all of a sudden he discovered that all the other stuff in his life that he craved, he had no taste for anymore. He didn't have any taste for it anymore. You know that Jesus said, unless you are willing to renounce Everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. The idea is, I don't want to be a part of your life. I want to be your life. I want to be the the, the, the energy and the pulse and the strength and the joy. And I got good and great and marvelous things for you that you can experience in this relationship. But it, it only comes one way. you got to let go of everything else. You've got to let go of everything else. That's what Paul did, isn't it? What did he do with his career path? Well, he, he sort of lost that when he stood with Jesus. What about the best schools and all that stuff he went to? Well, God used all that, but not the way that Paul thought he was going to. He made three missionary journeys and he started all these churches and he poured his life into these other people. He gave, he gave, he gave, not... Because in that giving he was earning something. All he was doing was enjoying his relationship with God. And all that stuff naturally flowed out of him enjoying his relationship with God. A lot of times we talk about do's and don'ts and things we need to focus on and and look at. And we, we look at those things. Now I'm not saying those things aren't important. What I'm saying is you don't need to worry about none of that. Look, if you go after Christ with all you have. If you let go of everything else, and you go after Christ with all you have, you don't need to know, no list, and nothing. If you do that, you'll find what's been missing. You know how few people actually do that? Churches are full of people who profess that that's what they have. But you and I, we see them, don't we? The joy, Let's that's a whole nother realm to see the words, but to be the words. That's, that's different. James said it like this Be not hearers of the word only, but doers also. The incredible thing. So, Paul, this is what Paul did, man. And now he's got this opportunity to say goodbye. I told you he's on the beach in Miletus. It told us the verse prior that Paul was trying to skip Ephesus because he didn't want to stop. Did you see that? He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. But then all of a sudden from Miletus, he sends for him. That's a about 30-mile walk from Ephesus to where he is. So it took the time to send a messenger to him to tell him, Hey, Paul's down here at the beach. He'd like to meet with you. they didn't just jump in a car and take off driving. They had to take care of whatever, whatever they had to do in order to, to get there. It's at least a day up and a day back. What I love about the, the elders that he called to, the, the leadership that he reached out to, it says in verse 18, And when they had come to him, they were available. Do you really think they didn't have jobs? You really think they didn't have responsibility? Do you think it was the most opportune moment for them to just get away? But listen, when you're in a place where you have forsaken all, you discover it's a lot easier to find time for the things that the Lord's asking you to do. Won't you? So these guys come back. And Paul begins to talk to him. He's going to share a reflection of this thing that's been a part of his life. This craving that's been satiated by his relationship with the living God. He says in that next verse, look at it. It says in in, uh, verse 18, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. You've seen it, he said to them. You've seen how I lived. You've seen the reality of the satisfied hunger in my life. And then he gives us several expressions of that that satisfaction. These are not things he had to work up to do. These are things that naturally poured out of a life who found that everything it was ever lacking, it found in a relationship with Christ. In a life that realized for the first time I can have joy despite what's going on around me because I have a relationship with Christ. It had all of those things. And the first thing he says that it poured out and it bubbled out in his life as he's loving the Lord, as he's coming before the Lord, the first thing that bubbled out, he tells us um, in verse 19, serving the Lord. Very first thing. The outpouring of this relationship. He served the Lord. I am most satisfied in my life when I am enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ. That new TV show may satisfy for a little while or a new book or a new movie or a new thing or whatever's going on. There may be a brief moment, but I am most satisfied. I am most satisfied when I am enjoying The Lord Jesus Christ. When I am just into what God's doing. What God's saying. And and how does that pour out of my life? It pours out in service. How does it pour out in service? Serving the Lord first? What? With all humility. With all humility. What does the scripture tell us? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. The natural outflowing. I gotta work up this concept of serving. Servants are always telling me to serve. Look, servants happen. Service happens when you're loving Jesus. Just love Jesus and service will happen all by itself. I never had to tell Rick and Kristen anything about serving God or doing anything with God when they got saved and their whole family changed and the things they watched changed and the things they listened to changed and all that stuff changed. And I'm sitting in here on a Wednesday one night and I'm like, what in the world? The first time Rick and Kristen missed a Wednesday. What's going on? Oh, well, they're in the nursery. I never had to tell them. They just loving Jesus. What happened? They served. I never had to tell them about the soup kitchen and the things that the soup kitchen was doing on Wednesday. Never had to say a word. They were loving Jesus and enjoying the relationship that they now had with the Lord and Savior of all the universe. And service just happened. They just showed up. Nobody had to tell them. They just came. How do we serve? In humility, not looking to elevate myself. It's not a step up on the ladder of ministry opportunities. It is lowliness of mind. Esteeming others is better than myself. Caring more about others than I care about myself. See a need, meet the need. They served in humility. But that's not all he did. Look what else it says. Not only did he serve in humility, but what's the next phrase? With many what? Tears. Well, you, you really think life in that realm of satisfaction, deep satisfaction with the Lord and the joy that He has, that there's not going to be tears. What's He talking about when He's talking about tears? Not only tears in the, in the next phrase, He's going to talk about troubles, but the concept of tenderness. Listen to Paul's words to Thessalonica. He said, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of god but our own lives also the tenderness the gentleness the serving people and loving they didn't have to work up the love for the people the love for the people came and when we love people you know what there's going to be tears Sometimes there are tears of joy, sometimes there are tears of sorrow. But it doesn't affect my joy and my deep satisfaction in the Lord. It amplifies it. When Rick and Kristen are up here talking and sharing and crying, I'm at sitting on the piano bawling like a little baby. Why? Because as they express the, the 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 experience that they have in the love of God, my joy is made more full And the Holy Spirit working through their words breaks my heart and I begin to weep. That's what Paul is experiencing. Not because somebody made him, just because that's what naturally happens when we find that deep satisfaction in the Lord. But then he not only does he say with tears, the next phrase, nobody likes that one, right? With many tears and trials. Oh, man. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ might be made manifest in my life. Those trials, whatever trials come, God uses those things. The Bible tells us in Romans 8:28, for we know all things work together for good to those who love God. Don't forget that phrase. Don't go quoting that for somebody who's not a believer. Did you hear what it said? For we know all things work together for good to those who what? Love God. Love God. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. For God's people, all things work together. And this is what Paul's experiencing. This natural outpouring of this life that's found deep satisfaction in the Lord God Almighty springs out with service. But not only with serving the Lord, the next thing he shares with us he says in verse 20, how I kept nothing back that was helpful. What's the next thing? You can't help sharing the word. He kept nothing back. He didn't shrink away from those opportunities to proclaim. There's three words that he uses to describe the way he shared the word. The first word is that he proclaimed. That I that I held nothing back that was helpful but proclaimed it to you. It's the same word for herald. It's like that guy in those old movies that would stand in front of people and go, da, 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 and announce some some person, some great person coming in. Who do you think he's heralding? He's heralding Jesus. He's heralding the Lord God Almighty. He's heralding the deep satisfaction that he found in him. He's reading. He's sharing He's heralding the fact that God is everything that He ever needed Him to be. He's living life out loud. Look what it says in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Same exact word. I have not shunned to proclaim to you everything that is in God's Word. I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding from Scripture that's difficult. I'm not hiding from difficult concepts. I'm not running from any of that stuff. Look... I'm just going to proclaim it all to you. Here it is. And he laid it out. Heralded did it. The second word that we see is teach. He says, not only uh, proclaiming to you, but I taught you publicly and from house to house. The word taught means to instruct, to exegete, to open up the word, to explain it. To explain those things. Maybe some some hidden things that we wouldn't necessarily understand from the surface. So he taught them. How did he teach them? Publicly and privately. Corporately. In a body like this. And then from house to house. That's why today we have corporate meetings and we have home meetings. It's the same thing. Isn't it? He taught them publicly together in one large group. And he taught them privately. Bringing that instruction That God's word requires. The third word used is here in the next verse. It says that he testified to the Jews and the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He testified. He witnessed. He proclaimed. He taught. And he witnessed. What does it mean to witness? To witness means to show application of God's word through your personal experience. He showed them through his personal experience and the manner in which he lived and the things that he did, the things that God's Word was teaching, the things that he was laying out in the teaching, the things that he was proclaiming from God's Word. He showed it to them. He witnessed that personal application in his life. And two main focuses, repentance and faith. Those are the two things necessary, by the way, for salvation. You can't have salvation without those two things. It has been said that oftentimes people talk about the fact that they, they believe in Jesus Christ. But nothing ever changes in their life. That is like saying, I was out on the highway the other day, changing a flat tire. And I wasn't paying attention to the cars going by and I stepped out into traffic and BAM! I got hit by a truck. You don't really look like you get hit by a truck. Oh, no, I feel great. Look good. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's like to say, Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but my life didn't change. Believing in Jesus is like getting hit with a Mack truck. You're not the same anymore. You don't want the same things. You don't look for the same things. You don't find satisfaction in, the, in anything of this world. If you do, you have to ask yourself a question. Do I just know Him intellectually or do I know Him experientially? Have I experienced that deep satisfaction of coming to Christ? How is it described? Repentance. We all know that word, right? We hear it all the time in church. What's it mean? Change of direction. Means once upon a time, I was out living life for me. But Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must do what? Oh, I know you guys know it. You must deny yourself. What's that mean? That means I changed my path, right? My path used to be over here, but now I deny myself. I'm not going my way. I'm going his way. He said, deny yourself, come and follow me. You see, there is a a practical change of direction in my life from the way I was going to now I follow Christ. I'm following Him. Where's Jesus at? That's where I'm going. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you have something that you don't have. It requires repentance, change, and faith. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, not of ourself. Lest anybody would boast. Look, I don't save myself, God saves me. I believe God gives to every human being on the face of the earth a measure of faith. And we get to choose where we put it. God gives you a measure of faith. And I have this faith. I can put that faith in me and I can live my life that way. Or I can put that faith in Christ. And when I choose to put that faith in Christ, He regenerates me. He changes me. My life takes on a whole new meaning. It's like getting hit by the truck. The direction has changed. Motivation has changed. Nothing's the same anymore. And now I'm going after Him. And everything I do from that point forward is is empowered by Him. It's not nothing I work up. All I need to do is follow him, right? And then what he told the disciples. Follow me. He didn't say, don't do this, don't do that. Stop smoking, stop drinking, stop dancing, stop doing all that stuff. What did he say? Follow me. Just come follow me. That's it. We make it too complicated. It's not that complicated. Follow Jesus. He witnessed to them repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting faith, our faith, in Him, and what did He say that that will accomplish? This attitude that He had in His life. Look what it, look what He says. He says uh, uh, in verse twenty six. We'll come back to the other in a minute. He says, "Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men." Why? Because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I have a clean conscience. Why? Because as I'm following Jesus and as I am making Him my joy, I'm pouring my life into Him. I'm experiencing things I never thought. He is my delight. He is my craving. And I'm becoming like Him. And as I do, I'm sharing the Word. I'm proclaiming. And I'm teaching. And I'm witnessing. So I am... I am guiltless, I am innocent of all men's blood, because I don't let anybody pass by without I declared to them the whole counsel of God, what God's Word says. I'm innocent. Clear conscience is produced in that life that is following Jesus. The last thing we're going to look at in this next section is we take a look at verse 22. What's next? We see that he is serving the Lord. We see that he is sharing the Word. And the last thing, and oh so important thing, he is surrendering his will. Look at it. He says, Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Does that sound like he's made the choice to go to Jerusalem? I think he is making the choice to go to Jerusalem. But he's bound in the Spirit. The argument about whether or not Paul should have went, sorry, that's the Word. The Word says he's bound in the Spirit. I don't care whether you make it his Spirit or the Holy Spirit, because God's Word declares to us that his Spirit will bear witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. They work together. My Spirit never lived. I didn't have a Spirit until the Holy Spirit came into my life, and I was born again, right? That concept of being born again means my Spirit gave came alive. It was birthed that day. That spirit, that way through which God speaks. He's bound in the spirit to go. And it's a little scary where he's going. You see where he's headed to? I'm bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, he said, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulation await. Surrendered his will. Look if if you want the easy life and the life that where where things are simple and 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 uh what just uh, like water you pour out of a pitcher and it just flows wherever it wants to go this is not it save yourself the frustration this life is a little different this life is is choosing God's way accepting God's will, realizing that I am going to experience the greatest things I'll ever experience in my life when I surrender wholly to Him and I live for Him. I want to surrender. I want to experience that. I want to see that in my life. I want to see that surrender, that the beauty of Christ moving and working. So He lays out all these troubles. And all I hear when I read those troubles, when it says, A chains await, and trials await, and troubles await, All I got got right, right next to it in my Bible. It says, "What will make you quit?" Paul says, "I am resolute. I am unwavering. Or none of these things move me." James Colvert was a missionary who went to the Fiji Islands to minister to the cannibals on the Fiji Islands and the captain of the ship that was taking him and this group of missionaries pleaded with him the whole trip the whole way there guys this is dumb you cannot go there if you, they're going to kill you they're going to kill you and then they're going to eat you you cannot go to this place and the last day the last night as they're pulling to the place where they're going to let him off the ship the captain actually broke down and wept with James Colvert. and he said don't go if you go you will die you know what James Cover said? We died before we ever came. Isn't that what it means? To deny yourself? I'm already dead. And the life I lived before Christ was deader than that. But the life I have in Christ now, I oh, was so alive. So alive. Taste and see. For the Lord is good. Listen to what Paul said. Similar to James Covert's story. In Philippians 1, 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. By the way, this letter, Philippians, is written while he's been imprisoned after the trip to Jerusalem. According to my earnest expectation and hope, then in nothing will I be disappointed. But with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain stop don't just hear that because you heard it 10,000 times do you hear what he just said? do you know what it is to die? to die is the loss of everything you lose it all Husband, wife, children, money, cars, stuff, relationships. To die is to lose everything you can ever have. And Paul said, to die is gain. Is that how you see it? Is that how you see the loss of everything you're ever going to have? Every relationship you're ever going to know, everything that ever has existed, do you see it as gain to lose it all that you might have Christ? Because that's how Paul saw it. And that's why his life was radical. And that was sprung from a relationship with Christ, with Almighty God. Does that sound like the same thing? I'm dead already. For to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. You take everything away from me, I got Jesus. That's incredible. Paul said, I live my life so that the loss of all things, every relationship, every pleasure, everything, is overshadowed by the overwhelming reality that I get Jesus. That's what it means to come to Him hungry and thirsty. That's what it means to forsake all for Jesus Christ. He said in Galatians 2, verse 20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Sounds to me like I'm dead already. I was crucified with Christ. The life I live now, I live for His glory, for His praise. Longing and looking and and getting excited about that opportunity that I might have to see Him face to face. Verse 24, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why? So I could finish my race with joy and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I just want to finish my race. I just want to accomplish what God's given me to do. I don't care what i got to pay. I don't care what i got to lose. None of those things move me. I am resolute, unwavering. He wrote, In the shadow of the gallows, Awaiting the headsman's axe. Paul wrote a letter. Second Timothy, I invite you to turn over there with me. You say, how did Paul do? Sitting in a prison cell, hearing the sound of the wheel outside, and the headsman sharpening the axe, knowing that any second... They're going to call me, and I'm not going home from this one. They're going to take my head. In chapter 4, verse 7, this is what he said. Actually, let's look at verse 6, just because I love it. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. That's what I want to be able to say. Not I found every excuse, why not to? Not I thought about every reason or every weight or everything that might slow me down. No, I, I finished the race. I fought the fight. The prayer that he prays in Acts 20 is answered. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. He finished well. That's our call. Find your deep satisfaction in Him. He's the only thing that's ever going to satisfy. That's it. You're here today, and you tried, and you tasted, and you ah, sprinkled a little Jesus in your life here, or you sprinkled a little Jesus in your life there, or you open up a little door and you let you, you said, oh, "I'm going to go to church on Sundays," or "I'm going." To... Look, none of that is relational. What did the Scripture say? Like the deer pants for the water. That's how much I want you. You say, I don't have that hunger. I don't feel that hunger. I don't feel that thirst. I can tell you where to get it. You ask Him. The psalmist would plea. Every morning, he said, I would plea that my soul would be satisfied in you today. Let my soul be satisfied in you today. Man, don't play games with it. Get in. All in. Whatever's holding you back, whatever's slowing you down, chuck it. Throw it out. It ain't worth it. You will not be disappointed. That's how Paul learned Christ. That's why he could say, Imitate me as I imitate Him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for a time that we can study Your Word, to open Your Word, to allow Your Word hopefully to penetrate our hearts. Lord God, we are built, we are designed with a desire that nothing here satisfies. That means that we are otherworldly, that there is something else out there. And that thing, according to God's Word, is that relationship with Him. God, I pray that every one of us would come to Him hungry and thirsty. He said, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your soul. You will find the answer to what you lack in me. Lord God, that we would find that, that we would know that, that we would have it in both hands, holding on to who you are. That you would be glorified, and that you would be Magnified in all that we would be abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house that we would be abundantly satisfied with the water you give us to drink that it would spring up in our souls a fountain of living water never to be quenched that you would solve our hunger that we would just stop playing and get in God, I pray that Your Spirit would move in this place today. As we call to You, Lord God, move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.